Thanks, uh, Jake and worship team. Uh, my name's Scott, uh, one of the pastors uh, here, uh, as well as Jake and, and uh, a few others on the team. Um, we're glad, if you're new here, we're really glad you are here this morning. And uh, our, our desire, we try to, as we plan these services, create space to just be in God's presence. And, uh, and part of that is even just hearing his word, like there's, there's power in this word, and it centers us on him and his heart. So just even taking that time is a piece of this. And uh, so this morning, we're going to be talking out of God's word. I invite you to turn to Luke 14. And as you do, just uh, this, uh, we're in a series called Engage, and today's message is on sacrifice. And I was reading some stuff this past week, and uh, something that just kind of was like, huh, um, I think I've heard that, not to extent to kind of read and dug into it a little bit, but uh, I was looking at the sacrifice that happened when the builder generation went into World War II. And uh, it was something that the, the entire nation got around, and it was, we have to do whatever it takes to win this war, because uh, if we don't, all this stuff, freedom as we know it, Europe falls, everything, it's kind of, it was a scary thing, and so everybody understood that you had to do what it took, you had to sacrifice, each person had to sacrifice to win the war. And uh, this country rationed things. Um, people went without willingly because they had to sacrifice. It's the only way to get, get through and to win. And so there was rations on jam and jelly. There was rations on stoves, oil, heating oil, gasoline, typewriters, bicycles, silk, nylon, meat, Lard, shortening, cheese, butter, margarine, dried fruits, canned milk, firewood, coal. Like this nation went without, sacrificed these things. And it wasn't just like they went without. Then there were so many people working at least two jobs. And, some, and, uh, and the second job wasn't getting paid. It was volunteer. You would go into the factory to help make armament, help make bullets, help make supplies, whatever that factory was producing to help the war effort. People sacrificed in immense ways. And, and then you had those who went and served in the military overseas, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice of death, those who not only sacrificed in that moment but lived with the impact of having witnessed the horror of war the rest of their life. That generation, people write about it and say that builder generation sacrificed like no generation has sensed. No generation has tasted that kind of sacrifice. And there's four generations now. We have the, the boomers, and we have the Xers, and we have the millennials, and now we got the Gen Z generation. And that, that moment in history still stands as one of those things in the, in the folklore, the, the cultural fiber of our nation, of the legacy of that generation. 
Sacrifice is a word I think we all know is self-evident, right? It's to go without something, right? To give up something we want, something we desire, something we value for the sake of something, someone that has a higher value. We, would, we can forego present satisfaction or gratification for something better in the future, even years out. Now, sacrifice, one, one guy was talking about, he says, it doesn't mean saying no to everything. It just means knowing what to say no to and when to say no to it. When I think of sacrifice, I think of this, this passage. Uh, there's this guy, he wrote, he says, I want to know Christ. And, and it's this build up to this thing of who he used to be and how famous he used to be. And he had all this and he had that and he, he knew this. And he, he, it was just all these things. And he gets to this point, he goes, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I, I want to like know that within me. I want to know what it's like to follow him so closely that I share in the same suffering that he shared or that he suffered through because I'm his disciple. I want to, I want to know what it's like to carry my cross, to take it up like he took up his cross. I want to know these things in the deepest part. This is everything for me. And I want to know that, that moment of what it's like to be raised from the dead. And, and he goes, and I, I haven't got there yet, but I, I've sacrificed everything. I've forgotten it all. I've left into the past. I only got one thing, him and him only. And that's out of Philippians. Paul wrote that, Philippians chapter 3. It's this paraphrase of it, but... It was this moment where Paul wrote out this lifelong passion to sacrifice everything to know Christ. We'll only sacrifice for something or someone we value or prize, desire, love, think it's worth more. I mean, the object has to be worth it. The person has to be worth it. And so the obvious thing, we're here on a Sunday morning, and you, you probably aren't surprised when I would say that the one being in this universe that is worth everything, our greatest sacrifice is God. And you would say, yeah, okay. Figured that was going to happen, right? Our God who is worth, who has all worth, has all glory, who has all honor. Everything that does have worth, honor, value comes from him. So he is the, the one in this universe that is worth everything that we could give. And he comes, and we sing these songs about what he's done. He comes, and he brings us into his presence. He brings us into his family. He forgives us, restores us, all those things, right? We, we sing those songs about this. And this essential piece of this is how much will we sacrifice? Will it be in the same way that he sacrificed for us. Not the same exact things, but the same exact surrender. 
Every generation has to struggle with sacrifice. Everyone. And we're, we're way removed from the generation uh, that, that builder generation, World War II. But everyone here has to face this moment. Will we choose sacrifice? And as a staff, we've been processing these messages. And this theme of sacrifice keeps coming up because what, what, we've, what we've been hearing in podcasts and hearing at conferences is that there is this thing that's happening in the American church where we as the American church in general broad brush doesn't know what sacrifice is anymore. It is struggles to sacrifice. Broad brush. And we've talked about this, like what is that? What, what are the barriers to sacrifice? And some of this comes out of podcasts and, and our conversations, but there's a couple barriers or a few barriers that we've talked about. There's probably more, so I'm not going to say this is the list, but these are some of the things that have come up in our conversations. And, and one of the barriers to sacrifice that we see consistently is the barrier of the priority we have of convenience. And if something is too inconvenient, we bail. We move on. And What's happened in our culture? We've seen this shift happen, and, and it's with, you know, it's, uh, this is low-hanging fruit. I'm not trying to pick on the phone or whatever, but this thing has literally changed our culture in the last 10 years. It's crazy. It's nuts how this has changed us. And, 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 and here's the part why I would say it. It conditions us towards convenience. If... if you, you can customize it, you can swipe it, you can read it. News is now that it's changed everything about news because it's got to fit on a phone. So if it's more than 130 characters long, people aren't going to read it because it's just too inconvenient. I don't have time to read something that long. I mean, news has changed. You don't read the newspaper like you used to. You get it on your phones, right? And I, this isn't evil. It's what it's conditioning us to think. That's the thing we got to think about. Convenience isn't even evil. Transferring this into our faith and assuming that faith must be convenient, that's what's a barrier to sacrifice. Right? So this, this culture now conditions us. We could have it how we want it, when we want it, customize it. You don't have to shop anymore. You can just order it online. You don't have to leave your house. You can just sit there and order everything in your underwear or your house robe, whatever you wear. You know, it's just like you don't even have to get dressed up to go shopping. It can just come. And then when it comes and it's not the exact order, it's like, oh, this is so awful. This is so inconvenient. Now I'm going to have to go to the store, which is, it's like, you know how far away that is. It's like five minutes away. Right? I mean, it's that. The, the idea of this, it, it gets infused. It transfers over to spirituality when we begin to make these assumptions that faith must be convenient. And if it isn't, we bail, we fade, we back up, we just don't show up. Another barrier that we've talked about is this idea that as a country, there's a cultural aspect of this. It's woven in there that we believe we should be pain-free. 
Our country leads the world in prescribing painkillers. Our country, it's a scary margin by how much we lead the world in prescribing painkillers. We also lead the world in overdoses to painkillers. We are desperately and deeply, profoundly committed to being pain-free. Physically, emotionally, relationally. Like there's this entitlement that says we should not have any pain in our life. And what happens is that gets transferred into our spiritual walk, our faith. And we start to really believe that we're entitled to go through life in this journey with, uh, with Christ and not have pain. And so when pain comes, we leave the church, we quit the ministry, we walk away from relationships, we do all kinds of stuff rather than stay in. Another barrier that we've talked about is, uh, as a staff is this other thing of this culture is just afraid of risk. Like, risk management is huge. We've got to get risk out of our life. So what happens, and this is the obvious one, the playgrounds are now you know, supposedly safe, so Johnny and Susie will never get hurt. And, you know, Johnny and Susie have to wear armor when they're, like, outside, right? And, like, if they ride a bike, and if a parent doesn't have a helmet on, Johnny or Susie, it's, like, huge cultural shame, and you must, we may have to take your kids away from you. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, who buys, just notice this, how many things you buy and how many warning labels are on it right? Warning, if you purchase this gasoline and you happen to swallow it, it could hurt you. Okay, thank you, right? Warning, you, you buy this pencil and you jab it into yourself, it could actually cause a hole and hurt you. Thank you, I, I didn't know that that's a risk, right? I mean, think about everything that we buy. Warning, right? The whole, I mean, it's just, it's constant, Oh, and they've got to put that risk on there, that risk assessment, so that you don't buy it and they don't get sued and every and it's just right. I mean, this this table probably had a warning, right? Warning: if if you try to eat this, it'll be bad for you. Like, I mean, this is the kind of how ridiculous we are, and yet, guess what happens? We get into this walk with Christ and our faith, and we think, oh yeah, oh yeah, there shouldn't be any risk. We got to get all the risk out of this. Christ would never want us to have risk. Do you know there's, a, there's twice it happens in Matthew and it happens in Luke. Once in Matthew it's recorded as Jesus saying, hey, look out, I am going to send you out in the midst of wolves like sheep. Luke records it and he says, no, no, I'm going to send you out into the midst of wolves like a lamb. That's awful. Have you ever seen a lamb fight a wolf? Oh, what is that? That's like hors d'oeuvres. Like, I mean, I, I, the picture I have is that moment in Jurassic Park, right, where T-Rex and they put this little goat out on a tether, which I'm like, the goat doesn't even have a chance anyway. Why tether it? Like, put it on the, right, and it's this big, the goat's gone. And God says, hey, look, if you're going to follow me, just so you know, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to be like a little sheep 
and I'm going to put you out in the middle of a pack of wolves. Ah, uh, <laughs> thanks. Right? That's not an encouraging calling. Jesus once said in Luke chapter 14, the crowds were big, right? Great crowds, chapter 14, verse 5. I mean, he's just riding. He's on the crest of this wave of popularity. And Jesus this, and Jesus said, wee. And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that'll kill a crowd. Luke 14. He spoke this to this entire crowd who had this conception about what it meant to follow him, and he says this, look, unless you don't hate everything else and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Now, is he saying literally hate? No, because that would contradict the Ten Commandments, where he says, honor your father and mother. It would also contradict what he had just done of summarizing the entire law of love God and love others. So he's not saying, no, literally go hate everybody. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. It's a comparison. Your love for me should be so extreme, so intense, so pure that your love for anyone else would seem like hate. Like it's a comparison. Like that's how much I want you to love me to the point of everything else and sacrificing everything else. And he says, if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. He doesn't say, you may be not be my disciple. He said, you, you, you could probably call yourself my disciple if you kind of just kind of maybe, you know, like the idea of it. He says, no, you can't be my disciple. sacrifice is inherent in our walk with God. And not only that, he goes on to say this. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Keep in mind, nobody knows about the crucifixion right here. Nobody knows. He says, take up your cross and follow me, right? If you can't take up your cross and follow me, they're like, what? What does that have to do with anything? That'd be like me saying, hey, go get your hangman's noose, go get your electric chair, and follow Christ. Like, it's so offensive, right? It's so offensive. And he's saying, no, I want you to follow me. I, I want you to pick up your cross, and, and it's only later that they understand this and follow me. And if you can't die to yourself and actually carry that instrument of death and die to yourself, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He knew what this meant. He'd already been sacrificing so much. He sacrificed his right to be recognized as God and to become nothing. He sacrificed his right to sit on the throne as a king and became a servant. He sacrificed his spiritual form to take on the form of a man. He sacrificed exalted place above everyone to become humble under authority. He sacrificed his right to never die in order to die to everyone. He sacrificed this unbroken relationship with God the Father and the Spirit 
and, and became rejected, right? He sacrificed his innocence to take on the guilt of the world. He sacrificed his right to never suffer in order to suffer. He sacrificed his right to all praise and honor to be scorned and rejected. He sacrificed protection, self, safety, health to protect those threatened, to save those in jeopardy, to heal those who were sick. And so he says this, if you and I cannot sacrifice our lives to him, we cannot be his disciple. Cannot be his disciple. The word there in the Greek, he says, when you cannot, he says it twice, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. The word is dunamis. You are unable... You do not have the dynamite, the power to be my disciple. Isn't that interesting? We don't sacrifice and get the power to, and, and do this power and, and actually power through it on our own. He says, you choose to sacrifice and you will get power. That's how this works. We say, I'm yours, I'll sacrifice everything, and, and, and we say this from our heart, and he gives us the power to do it. He calls us to something. I want you to go and sacrifice this, and in our yes, he gives us power. Dunamis. How engaged are you in sacrifice? When it comes to pain and inconvenience and risk, do you just shut it down and walk away? Do you look at your life and you look at others and you go, yeah, I, I, I don't sacrifice, I don't do any of that, I don't know why. Is it because you, you just are choosing not to say yes to what he's calling you to? I remember it was a back... About two years into my ministry here, this is the first church I was ever a senior pastor. It was the first time I was a senior pastor, and it was about two years in. I was overwhelmed. I mean, I was, I, it was just so hard, and so many things were happening, and, and it was just difficult. And I remember calling up this guy. He'd been a pastor for like 25 years, so we, we met, and I just, you know, kind of un bleh, threw up all over him, kind of like, this is me, woe is me, and isn't this so awful? And, and I thought, you know, this guy's 25 years in ministry, senior pastor, he's been there, done that, and what, he's going to help me, and he's going to be so empathetic, right? He's just going to pat me on the shoulder, because I called somebody I knew would do that for me, right? I wasn't going to call somebody else. You know what he said? I, I still remember it to this day. He said, you can handle more. I don't want to handle more. I'm trying to get off of handling this. That's what was going on. I was shocked. He said, no, you can handle more, Scott. He says, you're two years into this. You've just started. Like, you can handle way more. You're going to get broader shoulders you're going to learn how to handle all kinds of stuff that comes because God has called you to it. And I was just like, that is so not why I called you. <laughs> but you know what happened when I walked out of that conversation? I walked taller. I walked like, well, that's right. He's called me to this. Let's go. 
I'm going to do it, Jesus. I'm in again. I say yes again. And guess what? Power comes. Power comes when we say yes to his call. And, and, and don't, don't think, oh, it's because of ministry. No, it's not because of ministry. It's because of call. God's calling you to things. God's calling me to things. And each of us has a path where sacrifice is going to come. It's going to come. And, and the question is, will we say yes in that moment because he's worth it and, and we'll just forget what is behind. We'll move towards what, ahead, what is ahead because he's worthy. I am convinced that in this room right now, every single person, and, and whoever's listening online, I, every single person is capable of mundane sacrifice day in and day out for the rest of your life. How's that for a rah-rah speech? <laughs> mundane stuff. God calls us to sacrifice in a lot of mundane ways that we just get annoyed with that are just plain inconvenient. It's not somebody that's threatening, you know, to, to cut off her head like ice. It's, no, it's just far more mundane. For instance, I, I remember my first two months in ministry. We were at this conference, and there was a bunch of young pastors, and this guy gets up there, and, and this wasn't part of the conference. He just said, hey, this is for free for all you guys who are just starting out as senior pastors. This is for free. He says, here's some things you need to know right up at the, at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. He's, I paid, now he's, he's got us trapped. So you know what the first thing he said is, as a senior pastor, you're the one who's going to notice all the trash in the parking lot and pick it up. Nobody else is after 30 years. Because it's just too inconvenient. And he says, and you better pick it up. Pick up all the trash. I'm like, I paid all this money for this? Like, what? And he says, and the second thing is, if the church gives you a parking place right next to the building, stop parking there. Give it to somebody who's older, somebody who has a handicap thing the sticker, the placard, whatever. Quit parking. Walk. I'm just like, well, I do have a space, like, right up against the building. I mean, really, that this church, we had a little parking space for me, and I didn't park there, and people started, well, aren't, why aren't you parking there? It's because this guy said, sacrifice. Come on. It's just dumb stuff, mundane stuff, but it's, it's things that we look at and say it's inconvenient, but actually, no, it, it's what God calls us to. It's, it's small stuff that we just don't want to do, but guess what? It starts to add up over the, over the course of our life. Things like when you know you should stick out your hand and say, hi, my name is, and welcome someone. When God says, hey, I want you to own this church family. I want you to own it. I want you to engage in this thing. And you're like, ah, it's not today, God. No, not today. I'm, not just, I'm just not feeling the vibe. Not today. Right? Mundane things. Serving. Mundane things. Engage in sacrifice. I also believe this. I firmly believe it, that every person in here, including students, you students are capable of immense sacrifice. In fact, you, you guys who are in school, you students, you're, most of you probably haven't brushed up. Some of you actually have brushed up against pretty intense pain. Way too young, you've gone through pain. 
and you're still saying, I love Jesus. That's a sacrifice. Don't underestimate that, because I meet adults. I met an adult recently who has walls up because of pain. So don't underestimate that even in the middle of pain at your age, when you say yes to Christ, even in that, and say, I'll, I'll still love Jesus, that's a sacrifice that Christ doesn't miss. But you can handle more. And every one of you who have been following Christ, let me just tell you this, you can handle more sacrifice than you think. You can take on even more in Christ. I'm not saying go hunt it down. I'm just saying when it comes and when he calls us to stuff and sacrifice comes out of his calling, you can handle it. And he'll give you power. We don't have to shirk it off, shrink back, run from it, manage it. We just say, yes, I follow Christ. I am a Christ follower. I am a disciple of Christ. I, I just see this happen all the time. And then sometimes it goes national. Our country literally was stopped in its tracks two weeks ago when an 18-year-old, keep this in mind, all you students, you think, oh, no, that's for adults. I'm telling you, it happens now, and getting ready for it now is important because it was an 18-year-old who stopped this country. Everyone was talking about him. And it was the brother of Botham, the guy who was killed by the police officer. And he gets on the stand, and he's a Christian. And he gives the ultimate sacrifice of releasing justice, revenge, anything. And he offers forgiveness. Our country does not have a point of reference for that. And I know there's all kinds of stuff swirling around that. I get that. But in that moment, it was a man who had had his brother shot and killed and a woman who had killed him. That's what was going on in that moment. You're capable, I am capable in the name of Christ of a measurable sacrifice, if you would call it. Let's engage in it. I want you to see this, this clip. And I want you, as you're watching this, and then in the moments following, Lord, is there things I am pulling back from mundane or bigger that you're calling me towards? It's his call. You've got to hear his call. Don't just seek pain. It's not, don't seek risk for risk's sake. That's just dumb. Follow his call. And his call will lead us to sacrifice.